Uh, at Jacob's Well, we love the Bible. We love teaching through the Bible, letting the Bible conform our understanding of truth. Uh, let us be wrong and God be true. If you don't own a Bible, please take a Bible as a gift from Jacob's Well. We would love for you to have the Word of God in your home. Right now, we are going through a series in the book of Ephesians, in which Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesian church and the surrounding communities, and he's reminding them of what Christ has done for the church, of the life that we have in Jesus Christ as his church, but then how we bring Christ into all of life, into our marriages, into our studies, into our recreation, into every area of our life. And so that's what we're going through in the book of Ephesians, and we're continuing on that today. Christmas is, uh, is one of my favorite times of the year. I actually expected it to look a little bit like Christmas, but it hasn't started snowing yet, like they said. But Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year because it is just electric. Um, there is excitement in the air. Families are getting together. Kids are getting treats. They're getting candy. They're getting presents. People are excited. Uh, one of my favorite parts of Christmas is the Christmas music. Now, I know many of you will probably disagree with me on that, but it was my preference. They would start at December 1st, and they would shut it off January 1st. But I love Christmas music, and one of parents' favorite Christmas songs is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And I think it was my parents' favorite because it gave a stern warning to the kids to behave. And, uh, and with my parents having five kids, they could use all the help they could get. Um, I'm going to read to you the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it to you because I will... That's not supposed to be funny. <laughs> all right. Maybe I should sing it now. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them to you. Because I want you to hear how much this sounds like the movie Terminator. Seriously, it sounds horrible. Listen to this. All right? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus, he's coming to town. I mean, you know, when you put a nice tune to it, it has a nice ring. It's very happy. But when you read it, it's just this guy who's looking over your shoulder waiting to crush you. And it's like, how is this so merry and joyful? And it's like the third, I think the third most popular Christmas song Ever. The reason why I bring that up is because I am convinced that the majority of the world's population sees God as a cosmic Santa Claus. Someone who is distant, someone who is uninvolved, someone who is just looking over your shoulder, seeing if you meet the standard. Right? If you're nice enough, if your goodness outweighs your badness, then Santa's going to bring you gifts. But if your badness outweighs your goodness, then what are you going to get? Coal, right? You're going to get coal. 
And people see God as this God of the universe who's just waiting to see if our good works outweigh our bad works. And if it does, then you know what? God's going to be really good to us. He's going to be nice to us. But if it doesn't, then we're going to get coal or something worse. And the irony is I've never met a person who has thought my bad works outweigh my good unless they're a Christian. And so... This is how the world sees God as just this cosmic Santa Claus looking to see if you are naughty or nice. Have you ever wondered if you're good enough for God? Have you ever wondered if your works are good enough? If you do enough good works that God would accept you and love you and save you because you're good enough? This is what Paul addresses in today's passage. If you would open up to Ephesians chapter 2, in the Red Bible, it's page 976. We have, uh, usually on a Sunday, we go through 10 verses. Uh, Over the three weeks, we have spent time going over the 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 because it is so foundational to Christianity. When I want to explain to someone what Christianity is, I turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. The first week we saw in verses 1 through 3, our natural condition before God is that we are spiritually dead, that we are cut off from life in God, that we are, because of his justice, objects of wrath. In verse 4 through 7, we saw our Christian condition, that although we sin and we pursue things that God would judge, God steps into the picture. God reaches out to us and he loves us. And we learn what salvation is. Salvation is that God saves us from himself. God saves us from his justice. God saves us from his wrath. And he gives us life. And then he pours out his blessings upon us. And now today, in verse 8 through 10, Paul focuses on this subject of good works. What role does our good works play in salvation. Before we read the passage, I'm going to give you just a little quiz here. And I'll throw it up. I won't give the answer. We'll talk about it at the end. But here's a little quiz for you. There are two equations here. Which one do you think is correct? So the first one is faith and good works leads to salvation. Okay? The second is faith leads to salvation and good works. See the difference? Okay, let's read the passage. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 8 through 10, just three verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we come to a passage today that may be familiar to some of us. I pray that we would see it with fresh eyes This is the battleground of the gospel, Lord, the battleground of your truth. Are we good enough or do we need help? 
And yet you make it very clear in Scripture, and this is a joyous occasion for us. God, let us see the goodness of the truth that you share with us through your written word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So what is the relation between our good works and salvation? Well, really quick, we are not saved by good works. In this passage, in verse 8 and 9, in just those two verses, Paul doesn't tell us that we're not saved by good works once. He doesn't tell us just twice or even three times or even four times. Five times in two verses, Paul tells us that we are not saved by our own goodness, by our own religious liturgy or merit. We're not saved by the things that we do. Look with me, if you would, verse 8. For by grace, there's one, you have been saved. Through faith, two. And this is not your own doing, three. It is the gift of God, four. Not a result of works, five. So that no one may boast. Paul is making it crystal clear that we cannot be good enough to be saved, but that God has to work on our behalf. So let's dig into those a little bit. All right, let's start with the first one, verse 8. Salvation is by grace. As we said, it's repeated throughout this passage. But in verse 5, Paul goes into this, uh, this discussion of how we are dead in our sin, but we are made alive by God. And he ends that in verse 5 saying, For it is by grace you have been saved. And so grace is something that is extremely important to us, understanding that we have nothing to do with our salvation, that we cannot earn God's love. Matter of fact, the antonym to grace would be merit, that we would earn what we are, what we would earn God's salvation for us. The word grace is defined very simply as the unmerited favor of God, that we cannot earn it by going to church. We cannot earn it by helping old ladies across the street. We cannot earn it by flossing our teeth. None of those things can earn our salvation. It is by grace that God has shown us favor, not because of anything that we have done, but because he has loved us. And so God not only saves you from his wrath, which is mercy, but God saves you to his love. He saves you to himself. He saves you to bless you, to pour out his grace upon you. We studied this in the past weeks that God raises us up from the dead. He ascends us into heaven with Christ and we reign with Christ in the heavenly realms because of God's grace. Next we see in verse eight, it says salvation is not your own doing. This is repeated in verse 9. Salvation is not a result of works. And so our good works, our own doings, the best things that we try to do, don't earn God's love. Not by our most righteous acts. Earlier we confessed together that our most righteous acts are like filthy rags apart from Jesus Christ. And so on the day that you're doing really good, the day that you nail it, the day that you are handing out bread to the hungry, you're clothing the naked, you're, you're, you're housing the homeless, those to God, apart from Christ, are like filthy rags. They don't earn every, anything because 
We cannot earn our salvation from God. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, that God favors us apart from our good works. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. And so if you were like me growing up and you're thinking, I have to do something really good for God to love me. I have to be really religious. I have to do really good things. And then God will love me. What Paul says here is if that's what you believe, you're calling God an idiot. Because sending Jesus to the cross was a colossal mistake. If you can earn your salvation, if you can obligate God to love you, there was no reason for Jesus to go to the cross. Goes on. So salvation is by grace. Salvation is not of your own doing. It's not a result of works. Salvation is also the gift of God. Now to understand the gift of God, salvation as a gift of God, it's important that we understand the properties of what makes a gift a gift. Okay? This is very important for the IRS. They need to know what a gift is a gift, right? The first thing we see is that a gift is free for the receiver. The one who takes it, it has to cost them nothing at all. Otherwise, it's not a gift. For example, you came in here this morning, and every morning I say, please grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please take one as a gift from Jacob's well, right? And I say take it as a gift from Jacob's well because it's not a gift from me. It's a gift from the church. They paid for it, and it's for you to receive for free. It costs you nothing. You know, if I came to you and I said, hey, I have this brand new 40,000 red sports car to give to you, you would say, man, that's awesome. Thank you. You know, it's a gift. Here, take it. We'd have lots of people come in the church, but, you know, you'd take that gift. And if I came to you later and said, all right, where's the $40,000 you owe me? You'd say, no, 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 no. It was, it was a gift, right? So it has to be free for the receiver. Secondly, it has to be costly to the giver. It has to cost the giver something, whether it be time or money or effort or resources. It has to cost the giver something. And so if I gave you that car, it would have cost me $40,000. Or if you would take a Bible from church as a gift from Jacob's Well, it would cost the church so much money to give that to you. And so a gift is free for the receiver, but it always costs the giver something. Okay, we got that? Those are the two properties. Free for the receiver costs the giver something. Now, Let's look back at Ephesians 2, verse 8. It says, salvation is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. So what does this mean? It means the one who receives it, receives it freely. Salvation cannot be bought. It cannot be purchased. It has to be received freely from God. It can't cost you anything, even effort or time or money. It's given freely to you. And so salvation as a gift is free to the receiver, but salvation as a gift is also costly to the giver. While it's free for us, salvation is costly to God. In 
1 Corinthians 6 and 7, we were reminded that we were bought with the price. Sorry, we were bought with the price, yeah. That there is a price tag on our hearts. There is a price tag on our salvation. And it is too expensive for us to purchase. The price tag is a sinless substitute on our behalf. We can't afford it. We need it to be given to us as a gift. And God gives us that gift at great cost to himself by sending his most beloved son, his only son, Jesus Christ, to die at the cross. Jesus lived the sinless life we should, have, we should have lived, and he died the sinner's death that we should have died to purchase salvation for us. And so this gift of salvation is free for us, but it's extremely costly to God. And so how do we receive this amazing gift? We see here, it tells us in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is the channel through which we receive salvation. Faith is a channel through which we receive the blessings and the grace of God. I watch this, uh, I watch PBS every once in a while. They have a lot of cool documentaries on there. And I remember seeing one episode where they were talking about building the Alaskan highway from the U.S., I believe it's North Dakota, up to Alaska. And the reason why they built it was because it was during World War II when Russia was an enemy of the U.S. And so they built this road at an extremely rapid pace. They built it in under seven months across mountains, across forests. In seven months, they built this thing, and they built it so that it could be a supply route for their bases up in Alaska. God tells us that faith is our supply route, that it is through faith, through that channel, that God saves us. It is the instrument God uses to appoint his salvation. Furthermore, it is not just faith in anything. It is faith in Jesus Christ. It is not faith in Buddha. It is not faith in Allah. It is not faith in good works. It is not faith in anything but Jesus Christ. Because you see, even all those other things are really just faith in yourself. Faith in your good works. This is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. Every other religion, you have to be good enough. Every other religion in the world, God is a cosmic Santa Claus in which you have to meet this standard. And so you will either have faith in one of two people. You will have faith in yourself that you can be good enough, or you will have faith in God that he will be gracious to you, that he will he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. And so the million-dollar question is this. Who do you have faith in? Where is your faith? Do you have faith in yourself that you can be good enough for God, that you can earn his love, that you can earn his favor? Or is your faith in Jesus that Christ has earned God's favor for you, and he has paid the price for your sin at the cross. If this is new to you, I would encourage you today, place your trust in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Take it off of yourself. Put it on to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews says. So here's what we learned in this, that we are 
not saved by our good works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, by nothing that we have done. Now, the natural question that comes out of it is this. Well, if we're not saved by our good works, then why would we do anything good, right? If we're not saved by what we do or don't do, why would we do anything good at all? Paul knows you have that question, and Paul answers it here in verse 10. Read it with me. He says, For we are his, which is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We are saved for good works. We are the glorious display of God's creative work. We are his workmanship. All of us here, everyone in the world is a display of God's workmanship. Psalm 139 says that we are knit together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so just by being born, we display God's workmanship in creating us. But there is a second work that God does. It is a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. For everyone who is in Christ, for everyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been created twice over. You have been created physically in your mother's womb to display God's glory, but then you have been recreated. You have been redeemed to show the forgiveness and the love of God to display his mercy to a watching world because we have been recreated. And so the reason why we do good works is because we have a new nature. We are a new creation. You guys um, know caterpillars. (laughs) Caterpillars are created by God. It's true. And uh, caterpillars are just these little fuzzy creatures and they walk around on tree branches, right? And if a caterpillar wants to get from this tree branch to that tree branch, how's it get there? Has to walk, right? Walk back to the base of the tree and then walk back out or I don't know, do they cast silk and stuff like that? No. All right. We'll just say they walk, all right? So they walk down one branch and they walk back up the other to get from point A to point B. Now, that caterpillar will go through a recreation, won't it? It will go through a recreation where it will become a butterfly. The nature of it has changed. And so if a butterfly is standing on one branch and it wants to get to another, how will it get there? It will fly, right? It would be foolish for that butterfly with those little tiny legs to walk down one branch and then walk up another because it can fly. And what God says here is that the reason why you do good works is because you have a new nature. You have put on Jesus Christ. Christ is good. He is perfect. He is wonderful. And for us to act righteously as Christ does is natural. Now, will we do that perfectly? Will we go a day without sinning this side of heaven? No. But when we are tempted by sin, we can say, no, that is no longer my nature. I have been recreated and I have put on the righteousness of Christ. This is now who I am. And so one reason why we would do good works is because we are the workmanship of God. We are a new creation. The second reason is because we have a new 
purpose. This term workmanship here uh, in Ephesians 2.10 is actually only found one other place in the New Testament. And I think it's really helpful for us understanding what it's trying to say. Uh, it appears in Romans chapter 1, and the way it's translated there is, is different. Uh, it comes at the end of verse 20, and it's, it, it's translated, been made. But let me read it to you. Romans 1, 19 through 20. For, we can be known, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things, and then here's the word, that have been made. And so what Paul is saying there in Romans chapter 1 is the reason why everybody is without excuse, the reason why nobody can say, I didn't know God exists, is because we are surrounded by an amazing creation that shows that there is a creator. Now take that back to Romans, to Ephesians chapter 2, where he says you are God's workmanship. What it means is that you were built to reflect the glory of your created. You were redeemed. You were recreated that you would show the goodness and mercy and love of God. Just as we stand in this chapel and we see the beauty of the architecture, it reflects the glory of the architect. It reflects the glory of the builder. Or if you went and you saw a beautiful painting or a wonderful film, it shows the wonder of the one who created it. And what Paul says here is that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for you. God has a plan for your life. And here's what it is, is that in everything you do, you would reflect the glory and the wonder and the majesty of your Redeemer. And so the way you raise a family, the way you work, the way you enjoy food as a gift from God reflects the glory of the one who has redeemed you. And God has given this awesome and high calling that we would live this way as those who enjoy God amongst a sinful and dying world. And so God has made us a new creation, but he has also given us a new and glorious promise or purpose that we would walk in the ways that he has created to show his glory to the world. When, um, when we were first starting up with Jacob's Well, we were looking for a worship location. And I think I've told you guys part of this story, but I went and I met with a guy at a hotel here in town who was wanting to rent out one of his convention rooms for us to hold church in. And we sat down and we were having lunch. And like a salesman, he was a really good talker. He spoke a lot, all those things. And because he knew that we were trying to start up a church, he decided to lay out for me his religious pedigree. So he talked about how he went to a Christian elementary school, a Christian middle school, a Christian high school, went to a Christian college, right? And so we're talking, and, uh, and so, I, so where do you go to church? Oh, I, I don't go to church. Well, why not? I'm just too, too busy. I got a lot of work to do, you know. Well, what about your wife? Well, she's working all the time, too. So, so do you ever see your kids? Well, not nearly as much as we want to. So I, I asked him, okay, so you went to a Christian elementary school, middle school, high school, college. Why did Jesus die on the cross? It's the first time I've ever seen a salesman be quiet. 
45 seconds thinking. Finally, he said, to be a good example. And I thought, yeah, there's that. Anything else? (laughs) He said, I can't think of anything else. And I said, well, what if Jesus came to die for us to take the penalty for our sin because we can't be saved by our good works? And he thought about it. And I said, do you believe that? And he goes, yeah, I, I guess I believe it, but we can't tell anyone that. I said, well, why can't we tell people that we're not saved by our good works, but we're saved by faith? Why can't we tell people that? He said, because people would just go sin like crazy. People would just go do whatever they want if we think that we're saved by faith and not by our good works. The irony is, is that this guy had been living his entire life as a religious man, afraid that God would condemn him, trying to make his good works outweigh his bad works, never placing his faith or trust in Jesus Christ, and his life had fallen apart. The irony that I see is those who understand that we are only saved by the grace of God through faith are the most righteous people in the world. They are the ones whose hearts are transformed to love and serve the hurting because they know that God has loved them and served them through Jesus Christ at the cross. You know, we looked at that formula earlier. You can put it back up. Faith in good works equals salvation, leads to salvation. That is every religion in the world except Christianity. Everyone. Christianity is so distinct. It is by faith alone that we receive the grace and mercy and love of God. Nothing that we can do. And it produces salvation. And because we have known the grace and mercy of God, because we are a new creation, because we have a new purpose. It is a joy and a delight to serve God with the good works that we have. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, you have saved us and redeemed us to a glorious calling to do good works. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved onto good works, that you have completely transformed our nature, that we would be clothed in Christ and his righteousness. And now for us, It is our nature to do good things, God. Lord, I pray as we are tempted, as is often, that we would remember that we have become a new creation and that we are now redeemed and recreated to live for the God of the universe. We pray that you would help us and embolden us to do this, that you would be our joy and that you would receive glory. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. As we gather at the table, we are reminded of the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, that he did live a sinless life for us, but then he went to the cross and died to take our sin upon himself, to take the wrath of God that we deserve, that we can now live for God, have a relationship with God. 
In 1 Corinthians 11, 23, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're here,